Well, good morning. Um, morning. I was much more enthusiastic than I was prepared for. Um, but my name is Scott Carson. I'm our director of renewal here at Rio. And those of you that are wondering what in the world a director of renewal is or one does in this role, or frankly, looking across the room, I'm pretty sure some of you just learned that role exists. And so traditionally, I would have been our missions pastor or our um, director of outreach. But the reason that my title is what it is, the director of renewal, is that we as a church care about our city, that we care about the flourishing of our city. And because of that, we want to bring about the spiritual, social, and cultural renewal of South Florida and the world, and hence the idea of a director of renewal. And practically speaking, that just looks like how we meet the needs of the lost, the least, and the left out. And so that's what I have the privilege of doing kind of with my nine to five. But this morning, I have the privilege of being a part of our service where we get to talk about doing what it says. How do we live out God's word? And we're going to, in a minute, take a look at Psalm 5. But I say it's a privilege because it genuinely is for me. Um, you know, I'm a transplant from Illinois. I moved here seven years ago. And in moving here, Rio became my family. It became my community, much like what we saw this morning behind me that I met my wife here. Um, genuinely on the stage behind me, I got married. And about a year ago, my wife and I had our son baptized in the same way Cade did this morning. And so it truly is a privilege um, to stand up before you guys this morning and share God's word. And so this morning, um, we're going to be looking at Psalm 5. And the whole focus of this is Psalms, praise, and the day of trouble. Um, which is different because we see Psalms, praise, and the day of trouble and prosperity but today's focus is praise in the day of trouble. And as you know, we looked at Psalm 1 and 2 at the very, very beginning of the series. And what we saw was a gateway, a gateway into the whole of the Psalms that provided us two different paths. The paths of the righteous, which leads to life, and the path of the wicked, which leads to death. And then we looked at Psalm 3 and Psalm 4, and frankly, we basically referred to those as lament Psalms. We looked at them and David and this trouble that he was in and how he cried out to the Lord and how we could learn to model what he did in our own lives. And this morning, it's going to be pretty similar. It's another psalm of lament. But really, um, we just casually mentioned the term lament. But this morning, I want to spend just a little time um, just explaining what in the world a lament psalm is. So instead of just referring to it, I want you guys to understand what that is. And so lament psalms are just commonly referred to as complaint psalms. They're complaints. They're prayers in the day of a person's distress. You know, as Ryan um, opened our series, he let us know that a third to a half of the 150 psalms are laments. So that's 50 to 75 of our psalms are people complaining in their day of distress to the Lord. And I think the question I had to ask myself is, why does God's word devote so much time to people complaining? And Bruce Walkie, which is an Old Testament scholar, I think you've heard us refer to before, and it probably won't be the last time, to be honest with you. Um, he had this to say about that. He said, this is instructive for us, that in the predominance of laments are at the very heart of Israel's prayers, meaning that the problems that give rise to laments are not something marginal or unusual, but rather are central to the life of faith. Moreover, they show the experience of anguish and puzzlement, and the life of faith is not a sign of deficient faith, something to be outgrown or put behind yourself, 
but rather intrinsic to the nature of faith. So essentially he is saying that life for the nation of Israel was hard and that the circumstances that gave rise to those heartaches and those difficulties were not signs of a weak faith. It wasn't a sign of a lack of faith and it wasn't a sign of immaturity on their part. He basically said life is hard and the same is true for you and me today. Life is hard and those circumstances that give rise to our heartaches our sense of injustice, our anger, our disappointment are not signs in our lives of deficient faith either, but are intrinsic to the very nature of the life of faith itself. And so this morning, Psalm 5 is going to be instructive in how we learn to deal with our own personal laments and our complaints to God. And so as we look at the structure of these laments, there's five common elements that we see in front of us each time. And if they sound familiar, it's because they are. Um, Dr. Gage shared with us earlier this week, if you have the app and you get the push notifications he shared with us, um, these five common elements that are a part of a lament. And with each lament, each of those 50 to 75 laments, these five common elements are noticeable. The first one is an address. So in each of the laments, they all address the Lord or they call out, they cry out to him. Secondly, there's an expression of trust. So at some point, they recite Scripture, they remind themselves of the character and nature of God. The third part's the lament, which is really what are they complaining about. The fourth part is they have a request of the Lord. They petition, they pray. And they say, God, because of this situation, I need you to do this. And surprisingly, each of these laments end in praise. And so this pattern will not only be visible in just a moment. And frankly, the pattern we see this morning is not the same pattern that you see in each of the other Psalms. So... They can appear in any which order they want, but they teach us something very important. They teach you and they teach me how to praise in our day of trouble. So with all of that in mind, I'm going to read through the whole of Psalm 5, and then I want to go back through highlighting those five different elements and pointing out just how you and I can praise God in our day of trouble too. So if you have a Bible with you, turn to Psalm 5. If not, we'll have it on the screens behind me. So Psalm 5 says this, To the choir master, for the flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down to your holy temple in fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. 
that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with a favor as with a shield. And so Psalm 5 ironically doesn't actually start with verse 1. That might be a surprise, but Psalm 5 actually starts with the superscript to the choir master for the flutes, a Psalm of David. And as Tom has previously mentioned, it's not something that was added years ago if you're reading the ESV or the King James or the NASB or any number one of the modern translations we have. But the superscript is a part of God's inspired word. And because it's a part of God's inspired word, we know that all scripture is useful for teaching. So surprisingly, for the flutes has something to teach us. For the flute sets the tone of the psalm. And it's kind of like the soundtrack to a movie or your favorite show on Netflix. And as I thought about this, um, it's kind of like, imagine for a second, you're watching Jaws on mute. Because that's how we read our psalms, is on mute. And so when you hear that, da-da-da-da-da, what happens? I don't know about you, but my heart races a little bit. Like, I'm thinking I need to get out of the water. Like, I know there's not a shark anywhere near me, but I know that I need to get out. But it creates inside me an emotional attachment and understanding to the passage. And for the flutes does the exact same thing for the Psalms. Because from the Psalms and from for the flutes, we feel the same emotion that David did. Those flutes provide for us the urgency and the fervency and the desire of David to reach out and get a hold of his Lord. So for the flutes is the soundtrack for David's lament. It identifies, and then, sorry, it's the da-dun, if you will. Um, But next it says, a psalm of David, and it identifies David as the author. David, honestly, is someone we're all familiar with at this point. He's that ruddy shepherd boy who killed Goliath with a sling and a stone. He was the anointed king of Israel. Um, As we most recently learned, he was the father of Absalom, who orchestrated a coup d'etat against his own father and drove him out from his own kingdom. David was also a gifted warrior. He was a harp player, a poet, a writer. Um, he was a writer of the Psalms. Really, he was a, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, a Renaissance man. And yet, David wasn't perfect. David also abused his power and took advantage of a woman that he slept with. And then from there, he ended up having that man murdered because of his own sins and his own indiscretions. And I share that about David because it's important to realize David isn't just some character in a story you've read about, but David is a real man with real emotions going through real hardships in real time. And so when we read this, we need to understand the context that is David. And the only piece of information David chose not to include for us in this superscript is the fact that he doesn't give us the context for his complaint. So in Psalm 3, it said, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. David chose not to include the context of his limit this morning. But I think that helps you and I think that helps me this morning because it provides us a framework by which we can learn to praise God in our day of trouble. Any day of trouble, not just a specific one that David went through. So at this point, we're going to transition um, into the first element of those five elements that create and make up a lament. And the first section is just an address, which we see in verses 1 to 3. It says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. 
O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. And so in my mind's eye, as I envision David's address, um, I envision David's posture as someone who's laying flat before the Lord. He's prostrate. And I begin to hear the flutes playing in the background, so I begin to understand the urgency and fervency with which David is praying. And through the psalm, through the writing, I can now begin to understand what David is thinking. And in this address, David is basically saying, hey God, listen up, I am in a bad way. Help me out, come to my rescue, be here, but hear me, hear my cry. And as I thought about that, as I thought about him crying out to the Lord to get his attention, I thought about my wife and I's little year and a half year old. And about a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, he decided that four in the morning was the ideal time to wake up and be ready for the day. I don't know if that's happened to any of you guys. Um, but thankfully, it's pretty rare. Um, and the moment he said, Mama, I knew I was off the hook. So I just kind of, <laughs> I rolled over knowing he wasn't going to be happy if I went and got him. But we also kind of hoped that after that first one, he'd quiet down, he'd lay back down and go to sleep. But the Mama's got a little bit louder, a little bit faster, to the point where all you could hear is, Mama! And he's screaming, and we know, well, it's time to go get him. So my wife graciously went and picked him up and brought him into bed with us. And that same urgency and fervency with which our son cried out for our attention, I envision David using that same energy, that same cry of desperation for help. And so David first addresses God, and what he is doing is he's inviting him into his pain. And then he does something next. And I think this is interesting. He says, In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. So in the morning David prays, and then he watches. And what is David watching for? He's offered up his prayers like a sacrifice, much like a burnt offering before the Lord. And then he patiently waits for the Lord to receive his sacrifice. And then he waits for God's answer. David expected an answer from God. And as I thought about this, and if I'm honest with myself, when I've been in seasons like David, my responses have not been David-esque. Because when I find myself in a similar situation of distress or that causes me to lament, instead of inviting God into my pain and into my trouble, I push Him away. I end up blaming Him for the situation I find myself. And I tend to keep God at arm's length away. I say, here, no further. I ignore Him and my Christian disciplines of prayer and personal worship. And I tend to punish God with my absence until He fixes the situation or gets me out of that particular season. And once He's met my demands, you know, I'll allow God back into my presence. I'll start praying again. I'll start doing my personal worship. But David teaches us something different through his address, which is the right way. And David, instead of punishing God with his absence... He invites God into his pain and then patiently waits for God to, to answer his sacrifice of prayers. And so the first part of our, our lament is that address. And then as we move into the second part of a lament, David expresses his confidence and trust in God. He says this starting in verse 4, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. And so when I was doing my personal worship this week, I thought, man, I'm going to have a field day in the remember God section. 
Because all of a sudden, David, you know, for the first time in a while, just lays out who our God is and who our God is not. And so some of the examples he gave us is that God is not a God who delights in wickedness. Guys, that's an understatement. God hates sin. He goes on to say evil cannot dwell with him. Well, it's because our God is holy. And I know holy is a big church word that we use a lot, but holy just means set apart. And so our God is set apart from sin. And sin cannot dwell in God's presence. He said the proud can't stand before your eyes. And you destroy those who speak lies. So when it comes to pride, Proverbs 26 reminds us, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for him than a fool. And then when it comes to lies, I mean, I think we all know we shouldn't lie. Um, and it even goes all the way back to the Ten Commandments. So whether you know them or you remember them, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. So the question at this point is, what does God delight in? It's righteousness, it's humility, it's truth, and it's justice. Our God is a God of truth and a God of justice. And so as David is going through this trial, he reminds himself of who his God is, and he reminds himself of who his God is not. And we should follow David's example on this, that as you and I are going through seasons that cause us distress, that as we lament to the Lord, I think we need to be reminded of who our God is. And a great way to do that is to memorize Scripture. I know it's pretty old school, but grab a 3 by 5 note card and a pen and write it down. Grab some kind of a dry erase marker and write on your mirror and put God's Word before you. Be reminded of who our God is and the confidence that we can have because He will live up to who He is and who His name is. And I wrote a few of those examples based on the passage we just read because righteousness and justice, when it comes to that, Psalm 33.5 reminds us, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of His unfailing love. When it comes to humility, 1 Peter 5.6, humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. When it comes to truth, Proverbs 12 lets, lets us know, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. And so after David reminds himself and has confidence in who God is, he, he seeks refuge and deliverance from his trial. In verse 7 it says, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in fear of you. I think the question is, how does David, how is David of all people able to enter into God's house? Because it's certainly not because of his innocence. It's because David is able to enter into God's presence, into his house, because of the abundance of God's steadfast love. And it's that same abundance of love that God, that caused God to send his one and only son to die on a cross, to pay the penalty for your sins and for mine, and to offer us eternal life. And where we're able to find refuge from sin and from death and from injustice. And so after David asks God and seeks to enter into his house. David asks God, he says, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. And so David being a shepherd is asking God to be his shepherd. He's saying, Lead me like a sheep to safer pastures. Clear the way of all the obstacles and make the path straight. Be a steamroller and take all those barriers that would prevent me from getting there and clear the way. And so after David does that, we kind of reach the point 
where we finally reach why this is a lament psalm. So at first we get to hear David's invitation to God and he addresses him. That's element one. He reminds himself of who his God is. He's a God of truth and justice and refuge, element two. And then element three is David's complaint before the Lord. And he says this, For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. Now, as I read through this, and I've thought about this pattern, the pattern feels awfully familiar. Um, Either as a kid, you have done this to your parents, or your kids have done this to you. And it goes something like this. Hey, mom and dad, remember when you said, if I clean my room, I can go swimming this afternoon. Well, guess what? I lived up to my end of the bargain. I cleaned my room. Now I get to go swimming. So let's go. Make it happen. Or with me as a kid, it was, if I got straight A's on my report card, I'd get to go to the water park and I could bring a friend. And so day report card comes home. I go, hey, mom, look, straight C's. Just kidding. I got A's. But at that point, I'm looking at my mom to pull out the calendar and write down when we got to go to the water park. And David is essentially doing the same thing with that same pattern. He said, God, your character is such that wickedness cannot dwell in your presence and that you destroy all of those who speak lies. Well, God, there's the liars. There's the people who are... um, Well, they're the liars. And it's time to destroy them for attacking me. And as I mentioned at the beginning, we really don't have the context in which David is being attacked. Um, What we do know is that people are gossiping about him. And what we don't know, unfortunately, those could be lies. They could be rumors. And frankly, that could be the truth. And so what we do know about it is that it's doing considerable damage to David in his heart. And that in his emotional state, he's just heartbroken over this. And because of that, David moves into the fourth element of a lament which is his petition. It's what he wants God to do on his behalf. He says this, starting in verse 10, Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. And as I was working through this and thinking through this passage, this kind of flew in the face of everything I've understood to be a Christian. Because growing up, I was, I was reminded of Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. It doesn't seem to say pray for their destruction and hope they get what they deserve. It says to love them and it says to pray for them. And so how do we reconcile these two seemingly contradictory thoughts? Because on the one hand, David is praying for their destruction. And yet on the other hand, our understanding is that we are to love our enemy and pray for those who persecute us. And Bruce Walkie, I mentioned him before, um, is really insightful here as well. Because what he really does is he lays out the path of the righteous versus the path of the wicked. And the path of the righteous is actually modeled by David because David is praying for God's justice. God is a God of justice. And he's praying that God's justice would be done. David is seeking to be avenged by God. He's not seeking revenge on his own behalf. But we know as a warrior, he could have done it. The path of the wicked, by contrast, they seek to avenge themselves. And so righteous trust in God, the righteous trust in God, 
whereas the wicked trust in themselves. And so that's how we're able to reconcile these two thoughts. The righteous trust in God for, their event, for God to avenge them and the wicked trust in themselves. And so after laying before the Lord his lament or his petition for their destruction, David ends the final part of his psalm in praise, which seems kind of odd. He says, Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. So David ends his lament in praise. It's rejoice, sing for joy, that those who love you may exalt in you. And how can David, of all people, rejoice in a time of persecution and personal attack? And it's simple. His hope was found and is not in his ability to take revenge for himself, but his hope was found in his trust was in God and the very nature of the God that he believed in. And so in trusting in God's character that he would avenge him and avenge on his behalf, that led David to praise because he knew and trusted in the very nature and character of his God. And so the question before you and me today is how do we praise in our day of trouble? And David instructs us on how to lament in our day of trouble because he followed that pattern. At the very beginning, David prays. And what David does is he addresses the Lord and he invites him into his troubles and into his pain. So instead of saying, hey God, get out of here until you get this resolved, David invites God in and then he waits patiently for the Lord to answer his prayers. After that, he places his trust in God's character, that expression of trust, element number two. He then lays out his complaint before the Lord. He said, Lord, here's my heart, here's my problems. And then he asks the Lord to fix them, his petition. And then he ends in praise because his hope is found in our God. And so how do you and I take David's example of how he lamented and do what it says? But I think we follow that same pattern. I think our first step is we invite God into our pain. And so instead of doing what I talked about, my natural inclination is, I invite you to invite God into the situation. And don't keep Him at arm's length or ignore Him in that time. We have a God who loves us and cares for us. And He wants to be a part of that. The second part is claim God's promises. Like I said, grab a 3 by 5 note card, find an app, get a dry erase marker. My wife and I have a little chalkboard um, in our kitchen that we write stuff on, little notes to each other. But it's also been filled with Scripture. And every morning we're able to see that. And so as you're going through your time of trouble, which as I look across the room, I can't imagine all of the different types of distress and troubles that we could be going through. And I can't pretend to do that, but I know that there is Scripture that you can take hold of and cling to to bring you through that time. And then weep deeply. I know this sounds counterintuitive, but grieve your losses. I think we as Christians are given a bad rap that life is always perfect, that we just have to put on a happy face and away we go. But Psalms of Lament give us permission to weep and to cry and to be angry um, without sinning it. And, and we're supposed to do it. So weep and grieve those losses. And then pray. Pray and lay your request before the Lord. And last and certainly not least, praise God. Because you know the God that your faith and hope and trust is. So with all that in mind, let me pray. Lord, um, we're honestly just so grateful for you and for your nature and for your character. 
that you are a God who desires to walk us through and be a part of our pain and our trouble. God, and I thank you that you are a God who we can trust to fix our problems, a God that we can trust to avenge us in our time of need. God, I thank you that you give us permission to weep openly, God, knowing that in heaven that you'll wipe away every tear and that all injustices will be made right. And so this morning as we come before you, this morning as we learn to do what it says, Lord, um, may we learn to do this and do this well in a way that we honor you. We love you. Amen.